are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt, coming to you on March 29th of 2022. So uh, sorry of missing last week. We were actually basically like 10 minutes away from finishing the recording, had a, a software glitch, lost the entire file. Um, and we just didn't have time throughout the week to make it up, but luckily not too much has happened through this week. So we'll be able to, to push all the stuff from last week's episode into this one, um, and fill you guys all in on that. But before we get to all of that stuff, how are you doing, Matt? Doing pretty well. I hate that that happened last week, but, uh, it is what it is. And, um, you know, he had a hard time. I had, a, I was really, really busy the rest of the week and I know you were busy too. So, um, I actually spent very little time at home the rest of the week. I had, tons of stuff going on. I was in a wedding this weekend and at a, uh, at a, uh, you know, I had my, my normal stuff on, you know, Wednesday and on Friday as well. So it's like, uh, it was pretty busy and, but, uh, you know, here, we're here this week and we're going to have this, uh, hopefully not go off without a hitch and, uh, you know, we'll see and I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, so let's let's jump right in because we're gonna gonna have to speed some things along here, but we'll go ahead and start with signings in the first portion, and then we'll jump down to the the couple trades we had at the end. But we'll go ahead and start with Anthony Rizzo uh, re-signing with the Yankees on a two-year, thirty-two million dollar contract. Yeah, so Anthony Rizzo is still a pretty good player. Um, obviously, last year with the Cubs and the Yankees, he um his last two years he's really put up a a stat line that isn't super indicative of how good he still is 2020 he was bit he's been bit by the bad luck bug a little bit he's he's not gonna be like a 300 type hitter and he's not as good as he once was but his batting average on balls in play has dipped big time in the last two years and and i'm sure part of that is probably his profile he's lost a little bit of speed you know that that's part of it probably rolling over the ball just a little bit more but at the same time he's you know his, his plate discipline numbers are pretty similar and, um, you know, his batting average on balls in play is just way lower than his career average of 283. It's, it's dropped, you know, 25 points. So if he can get something close to, you know, the projection systems like him to, you know, increase that some. And, and if he can bring that, you know, that that batting average on balls in play up a little bit, uh, he still hits the ball hard. He's still got power. Uh, hit 30, hit 22 home runs last year in 141 games. Gets on base a lot. Uh, 344 last year. Um, and that's with some of that bad luck, but uh, a high walk rate. Last year was actually a career low walk rate uh, outside of 2012 when he only played 87 games. Uh, he's usually hovered at a 10 to 12 percent walk rate, and uh, I would expect to see that back up this year. But his strikeout rate, strikeouts remain low. Um, you know, he had a good year, and you know, at Yankee Stadium, having a full year there, I could see the power uh, take a little bit of more of a surge than it has. You know, Wrigley's not a bad hitter's park, especially with the when the wind's blowing out, but. Um, it could be a little bit of a inconsistent hitters park and, and Yankee stadium with that short porch could be great. Uh, you know, Rizzo is a guy who could still be a pretty good or a productive first baseman. And, and it's a good fallback option for the Yankees who, you know, maybe aren't, um, you know, who maybe didn't have a, uh, you know, maybe lost out on their couple uh, star players they were looking at. So. Yeah. And Rizzo's really going to help fit that clubhouse. He's going to really keep that clubhouse tight knit. And like you mentioned, um, you know, a full season in a, uh, in a ballpark like Yankee stadium, I think that's only going to help him at all. He really struggled, um, 
you know, even the, the numbers look pretty similar between the Cubs and the Yankees. But once he went to the Yankees, he got COVID and he said like, once he got back, it really, you know, it took him a while to really feel like himself again. So it will be interesting to see if he can, you know, parlay, you know, getting back to in the Yankee stadium, a full season into like his old, uh, you know, self of what we really expect, expect from Anthony Rizzo on a, on a yearly basis. But Let's go ahead and jump over to your Atlanta Braves. They made a couple signings um, the past week and with Ed, uh, Eddie Rosario getting the two-year $18 million deal with the club option for 2023 and also signing Kenley Jansen to a one-year $16 million deal. Yeah, so um, the the Eddie Rosario signing to start off with, um, you know, I thought that was a pretty good signing. Eddie Rosario played extremely well after getting to Atlanta last year, really played the best baseball of his career. Um, in that, in that stretch, he, uh, he took off, especially in the postseason. Uh, but you look at his numbers from, from when he went to Atlanta last year, he only played in 33 games. Cause if, if you don't remember when he, when he got there, he was injured, but, um, he put up 0.6 war in just 33 games, a 133 WRC plus a 271 average 330 on base. He, he had a, he spiked his walk rate after he got to Atlanta. His strikeout rate, it's always been low. It's a guy who's going to put the ball in play. Um, and he can hit for some power. He's a good RBI guy, and uh, he'll hit, you know, in the middle of the Braves order somewhere, and he's just a great depth outfielder to have, you know, as a guy who's going to start most most games, going to probably start in left field for the Braves this year, and uh, he's a very good player, and I'm glad that the Braves were able to re-sign him on what looks to be a pretty friendly contract for the team, only $9 million a year, and then you get that club option. So I think this is also a guy who I think he's about to play over the next couple of years is probably be playing his best baseball. Um, you know, I don't think he's played – I think he's just getting into his kind of his peak. So, um, you know, I don't expect him to be a superstar or, or you know, a, a all-star the next three years. But um, as a solid everyday player, I, I could definitely see him doing a, doing a nice job, you know, in 2022 and, and then for the, for the two years after that. Yeah, it's a it's a really good signing from Eddie Rosario, um, and from the Braves standpoint, like you mentioned, once he got over there, he kind of transformed into a, a, a different player. Uh, he really struggled to begin the year, and uh, really, it really established himself, especially in that playoffs. He he just took it to another level there, and it's it's a really good signing. You know, two years of the potential for a third year, it, it feels just like a fit for both sides. Um, and Rosario will uh, will probably man left field, like you mentioned, and then jumping over to Kenley Jansen, you know that that's just going to help create like one of those super pins. Like we saw with the Royals um, when they were, you know, making their runs for the world series and stuff like that bullpen is going to be, you know, really nasty. It allows Will Smith to push up to the seventh or the eighth Matt sick. Uh, they're going to get Kirby Yates back. They signed Colin McHugh this off season. Like that bullpen is going to be disgusting. And once you, you know, with the, the question marks around the back half of that rotation, it, who's it going to be? Is Tucker Davidson going to be it? Is it going to be Kyle Wright? Like who's going to be there at the back end behind, you know, Morton Anderson um, freed. And then maybe if you get Soroka back, you're not going to have to push those starters, um, especially early on in the year where teams are really worried about the innings you know, with the short ramp up on the starters, you're going to be able to push that bullpen after five innings and not have to worry about if it's a close game or if you have a one run lead that they're going to give up, you know, give that up most nights. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that, that bullpen, the back end, but it's really the depth to me too, because, you know, you add to that list, you had AJ mentor and Luke Jackson that you didn't even mention in that bullpen. That's like, it's like five, six deep of guys who have some closing experience and, and have put up, 
you know, multiple elite seasons. And then you go back and you look at some of the guys who are in the upper minors for the Braves. They still have a lot of guys that, you know, could slide into the back end of that rotation. As you mentioned, uh, Tucker Davidson, um, you look at, uh, you know, Kyle Wright, um, you know, Kyle Muller, uh, Waskari, Noah, like all those type of guys. And then you, you also add in so a couple of top prospects like, like Spencer Strider, who's out there throwing 100 miles an hour and, you know, pitched out of the bullpen at the end of the season last year a little bit. Dylan Lee, who actually started one of the World Series games as an opener. Uh, but that's kind of a couple of guys that uh, you look at as maybe uh, maybe they add even more depth as young and proven guys who could be really good at the bullpen. So uh, this is a bullpen that's going to be nasty, and I think that's just something they, they've been doing their homework on, on closers. And, and Will Smith last year as a closer, he, he was a little bit inconsistent. I mean, he gave up some home runs last year, and I think that they really wanted Kenley Jansen to come in and just be a lockdown ninth inning guy because after some struggles at the very beginning of the year last year, he was he mixed his pitches a little bit better later on, and he was unbelievable in the postseason so uh, this is a great signing for the Braves uh, low risk because it's a one-year deal and uh, you know you get one of the, what could be the one of the better closers in baseball this year absolutely he's still at the at top of his game as I watched pretty much uh, every game last year but let's go ahead and jump over and this one's kind of more of a feel-good signing rather than an impact signing but Zach Grinke signs a one-year 13 million dollar deal to return to the Kansas City Royals where he was originally drafted yeah, so, um, you know, Zach Greinke obviously is, a I, I think, a future Hall of Famer. I, I think most people would agree with me. Um, he's put up 64 wins above replacement in his career. Um, still a pretty useful pick pitcher. He'll eat some innings for them. Um, he's not going to throw very hard. He's only throwing in the upper 90s on average now with his fastball velocity. Uh, his strikeout rate really dipped last year. He had some injury concerns late in the season. He only threw 171 innings, um, you know, but he's been a very durable workhorse for his entire career. And I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, 2020 put up a two, a, a four ERA, but a 280 FIP. And in 2019 put up a 322 FIP and a 280, 293 ERA between the Astros and the uh, Diamondbacks. So this is a guy who, you know, if you take out 2020, he's still, you know, his last few years have still been good on average. And, uh, you know, he had a little bit bit by some unlu- unlucky fly ball, home run per fly ball rates last year, where he, he gave up the career high on uh, home runs per fly ball, which you would expect to drop. Probably not to the level that it's been at in the past, but but to a more reasonable level. He, he averages a, on each fly ball, he averages a 10% chance of a home run being a fly ball, a fly ball being a home run in his career. Last year, that was up to 17%. That's something that typically a pitcher is not going to control too much of. Um, so, you know, if that dips back down a little bit, he had a, a, his expected, uh, you know, numbers were pretty good last year. So, uh, he could still be useful for Kansas city and he'll add some veteran presence to that rotation. It's got a bunch of young guys. And, uh, I mean, it's, it'll be great to see him close out this, you know, his career where, where it started and he built his name as a, you know, a, an ace in the big leagues. So I'm excited to see what, uh, you know, Zach Grinky go back, go back to where he started and, uh, you know, finish out what's been an incredible career yeah it's just gonna you know it's gonna be cool seeing him back in kansas city in that uniform again kind of just how our our childhoods kind of were you know where where he really began to to ascend to that cy young level he was um i think it's really going to help that that young pitching staff you know they have guys like kyle bubich and daniel lynch um and uh, who's the other one zimmer 
We have Singer, say, Brady Singer. Brady Singer, that's it. Um, they're going to be able to help. You know, Grinky's one of the smartest baseball minds around. He's a guy who truly understands the art of pitching and not just being able to throw. Um, so he's going to be able to give those young guys, a, a, you know, some valuable lessons throughout the year, some good advice um, that will help them maybe take that next step forward in their uh, in their game. So it's really cool to to see. You know, I was hoping he might have went to a contender and got another chance at, at making a World Series run, but going back to Kansas City, it kind of, you know, it, it's right up there with what he could have done. But let's go ahead and jump over to the next one, and that's the Chicago Cubs signing import Seiya Suzuki to a five-year, eighty-five million dollar deal. Yeah, so uh, Seiya Suzuki is a guy who, by all accounts, um, a lot of people like him. And some people don't. Um, he he's it's a mystery when when you whenever you go overseas, you know to to you know Japan or Korea to look for a player, you just never know what you're gonna get. You could sign a guy who looks really good over there and is you know the next big thing, and you could sign him to a really team friendly contract because of the risk of it that teams aren't gonna put up a huge fight, or you could sign a guy to a big contract who is basically a never useful as a big leaguer um you know you could look at some some examples i mean shohei otani came from the same you know a, a, it's a little different situation he seems a lot younger but uh you know he's obviously worked out and, and overperformed his contract you look at uh Young kim from the padres uh hasn't ex- exactly lived up to his contract yet but you know it could have easily flipped the other way you know it could have easily ended up that kim was fantastic and otani wasn't you know, you just you, you just never know when you go over overseas to, to you know Korea KBO or or NPB for for a guy and uh, Seiya Suzuki's a guy who's got a lot of talent. A lot of people really like his swing. Uh, think he's got good power potential. Um, they love his plate discipline. Um, you know, the question marks when you come from over there, the baseball is a little bit different. Um, you know, you in in the U.S. a lot of most guys in the big, big leagues throwing a lot harder. Uh, you know, he's not gonna he hasn't faced the velocity he's gonna face in the big league level. And you know, through the first couple of uh, spring training games he's played, you've seen that he's he hasn't adjusted yet. That it might take him a little bit of time to do so. But uh, you kind of go through looking at the projection systems. I mean, you know, the, it's wildly different. Like one of the projection systems has him projected for a negative 1.2 win, wins above replacement. And one of them has him projected for 4.1 wins above replacement. So it's just one of those things where it's like, there's a very wide range of ways this can work out. But, uh, you know, I think it's good for the Cubs, obviously to be aggressive and get a guy who, on, on, who, who would be a value if he is what they think he could be. Um, this could end up being one of those rare big contracts is very team friendly. So we'll see what happens with Seiya Suzuki, but uh, it's, you know, it's definitely an interesting move. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm one of the, I'm on the side of, I really like this move and I really like Seiya Suzuki. Um, he just seems like a guy that will come over and be able to adapt. You know, maybe it, it might take him through half the year or, or going into next season, but he's a guy who, like you said, plate discipline is a lot, you know, a lot better than most guys that have come over. Um, the way his, his swing is, he's able to get his foot down a lot faster than most do. He doesn't have as big of a leg kick. Um, and and his hands are just, his really quick from the time that he gets his foot down to, to be able to get through the ball. So I I really like Seiya Suzuki. I I think he's going to transition really well for the Cubs. Um, and honestly the, the five year, $85 million deal. I, at the end of it, I think I, 
you could see that possibly being a, a steal of a contract for the Cubs. Um, you know, also noting that they did sign Jonathan VR, Drew Smiley, and Michael Givens to one-year deals as well. Um, just help supplement the depth there. Um, and VR might actually get, you know, a lot more playing time than people think. It, it'll He allows them to, uh, you know, if Nico Horner, who hasn't been able to stay healthy, um, you know, is out or if, uh, Nick Madrigal, who's coming off of a severe hamstring injury and actually had surgery on it in the offseason, is not ready. Um, you know, VR could be a really, uh, really good ad for them. Yeah, VR is kind of a weird player because he's got a super high strikeout rate, but that doesn't, which doesn't go along with his profile. But he also is a great base runner. And he gets on base at a pretty good clip. He was at 322 last year on base. And he put up over two wins above replacement last year and only 500 plate appearances as a as a utility guy for the Mets. So I actually like the VR signing, but, you know, I could have done without the, the other two. I mean, I, I definitely don't think that the uh, – definitely don't think that the Drew Smiley signing is going to work out much at all. And then, of course, uh, you know, Michael Gibbons was just kind of, you know – He's one of those pieces that he's had some success as a decent middle reliever in the past, but he's probably not probably not a guy I would have brought in on a big league contract, to be honest. But uh, but I think Jonathan VR could be a very useful player for the Cubs. I absolutely think he can be too, and um, I think Smiley is just like you said. I don't know how well yeah, that's going to work out. He's Givens, not very good. <laughs> I think Givens could be decent um, as a middle reliever. Um, and then, you know, they're only one year deal. So if you get to the the deadline and, and you're not very good or, or whatever, you can flip them. And if, if you are very good, then you have a, a decent middle reliever. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's all that big of a deal. Like they're all one year deals anyways. So, yeah, but, um, <clears throat> let's move on to the Philadelphia Phillies. They've made two big signings, signing Kyle Schwarber to a four year, $79 million deal. And they signed Nick Castellanos to a five year, $100 million deal. Yeah. Now this is going to be the goofiest team to watch ever because these guys are going to be possibly the worst defensive team in MLB history this year. I mean, they are just completely, they do not care about playing any defense, but they got two mashers. I mean, Kyle Schwarber can really hit, uh, you know, last year he took a step for a major step forward on, um, you know, at the plate, he, it was by far his best season. He did spend a lot of time injured, but he had 32 home runs and 113 games, uh, 266, 374, 554. Um, he, he, a lot of it did come within one real big hot streak that he had mid season when, when he was in his last final days with the nationals, which, I mean, that's kind of been a theme for him, and maybe the fact that, you know, when he was kind of starting to cool off a little bit, he got injured, maybe cut out some of the, you know, that rate, the rate stats, he might have dropped down some on that, but still, uh, he, he had a best year of his career last year, um, and this is a guy who's going to get on base, and he's going to slug, not going to have a high average, which is fine, you know, that's the profile they're, they're looking for there, and then Nick Castellanos is... You know, a guy who maybe maybe more of a well-rounded hitter um, doesn't walk as much, but he doesn't strike out as much. Hits for a lot of power. Um, you know, last year, 309 average, 362 on base, 576 slugging, four wins above replacement. Last year was really nice. He wasn't quite as bad defensively as I thought he was last year either. He wasn't good, but he wasn't like the worst defender in baseball uh, like he has been in the past. But um, these are both guys who, honestly, it's puzzling to me because the Phillies now have like six designated hitters on their team. You got, you know, Hoskins really should be a DH. Bohm should be a DH. Schwarber should be a DH. 
Uh, Castellanos should be a DH. I mean, you're really and and you know Gregorius is a terrible shortstop. I don't know about DH, but he doesn't need to be playing shortstop. And you're really looking at other than Real Muto behind the plate, your best defensive player is probably either Bryce Harper or Gene Segura, and either one of those guys are known for being great defenders. So um, it's kind of puzzling to to see what they're going to do, you know, with their defensive alignment. But um, you know, we'll see. It's going to be it's going to be entertaining. They're going to they're going to have some high scoring games there, and I bet you know Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler are not very happy with the front office on their decision making. But we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, the, the you know it's going to be a fun offensive team for what uh, to watch for sure, and you know you might see games where they uh, they score more points than the Eagles did on average this year, just because they're going to have to to be able to win games. Um, but like you said, the, the defense is is very very bad. I mean, coming into twenty twenty one, their their defense was like second worst in history, and everyone's just pretty much got worse through that. And I think right now the plan, I think, is Obdubo Herrera to be playing center field. Um, and I, I think even he got injured, so I don't think he's even going to be ready for opening day. And they just traded Adam Hazley today. So I'm not quite sure what that that whole plan is. Uh, maybe we're in for uh, more Bryce Harper in center field or something. That, but. that would be that's the thing they could do. <laughs> oh, dude, I that would be the ultimate Phillies move, though, wouldn't it? Yep. Like, it really would. But, you know... Overall, the signings aren't bad. Like the value of the signings for each player is they're very good. Like they're right around what you would expect. Just the fit with the Phillies is what makes it a little weird. Like if they would have signed one of these guys and then went out and made a different move for, you know, maybe a center fielder or moving DD and getting a different shortstop in, like it would have made perfect sense in that in that scenario. But these two signings together to the Phillies, it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense over the defensive side of the ball, which has been your big issue the past couple of years. Like you've been able to score, you know, enough runs. Like if you would just help support your pitching staff a little bit more and build up that bullpen, that's been a big issue. Then, you know, you would have been a better team, but now you're just full on going into the, we're just going to try and score more than everyone. It's we're going to have, you know, 11 to 12 shootouts every night or something. So it really sucks for for guys like Zach Wheeler and then uh, Aaron Nola because they're really good, especially Aaron Nola, who's uh, so much of a, a ground ball pitcher. But it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to watch them on the offensive side of the ball. At least that's all I can say about it. No doubt. But let's go ahead and jump over to the next one, and that's Chris Bryant signs a seven year, one hundred eighty two million dollar deal with the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, so uh, Chris Bryant obviously is a really good player, former MVP. Uh, definitely the last four years is nothing like his first three years in the big leagues where he was over six wins above replacement every year and won that MVP in 2016 with, with an eight wins above replacement season. But, um, you know, 2020, he, he dealt with injuries a lot. Uh, 2018 dealt with injuries a lot. He's still on a rate basis, been a really good player. Um, and, you know, you look at his 2021 and, I mean, 3.6 wins above replacement. He's just, he's not quite the same guy as he was in his first couple of years. He's, those injuries probably have slowed him down a little bit. I don't think he hits the ball quite as hard as he did, but he's still a guy who, who is a very well-rounded guy at the plate, hits, hits well, still hits for power, 25 home runs last year. Um, you know, he's still, um, you know, he strikes out. He's, he's never been a very low strikeout guy, but I mean, he's not, 
crazy high. You know, 23% last year was was a little high, but, you know, typically in his career, he's been more in that, you know, 20%-ish range. Um, you know, he gets on base. He's a good on-base guy, walks a lot. He's patient at the plate. He's a guy who's going to do well in Colorado at the plate. Um, you know, you could I could see him putting up a, a couple of really, really good seasons at the plate. Defensively, he's taken a little bit of a step back. Injury probably has part to do with that. They move him around a lot. That's a lot where a lot of his defensive value comes from. But seven years, 182 million. That seems like it's a little high for Chris Bryant at this stage. But um, you know, he's a guy that, I mean, for the Rockies, they need players that are really, you know, have upside, and he's one of them. I mean, it is puzzling that the Rockies are out there spending money after you know, what happened with Arenado and then not bringing back story. It's kind of one of those deals where are you all in? Are you not all in? But I mean, I like to see them spend money. I mean, go sign somebody and, you know, it's a seven year deal. So, you know, maybe you can't go all in this year because of, you know, issues with your current roster, but you know, next year, maybe you can do it. I could see them being somewhat competitive. Their pitching staff is a lot better than people think it is. So um, maybe some of their young you know, position players do well, like Brendan Rogers, or uh, I think they have a, a high, higher level prospect too down there. And then maybe Charlie Blackman has a bounce back year or, or something. They could maybe stay in contention for a wild card spot with the expanded postseason. But I, I just, I don't really see them being great, but uh, it'll be interesting. And I think, um, you know, I think for Chris Bryant, it's one of those deals where he wanted to go, you know, he wanted to play and he wanted to be in Colorado. He just wanted to play and didn't, he wanted to live there. He wanted to, you know, I don't think he cared quite as much about playing for a contender as much as he cared about, you know, getting a great payday and, and going somewhere he wanted to live. So uh, good for him on that. Yeah. And another thing you were talking about with Colorado, not willing to spend money. Um, they didn't resign John Gray either, who would be yeah. very vocal about, you know, wanting to stay in Colorado and actually pitch better in Colorado um, than he did, you know, usually on the road. Um it, you mentioned it right there at the end. I, I think that's what it was, is that Bryant kind of didn't really care about going for as much of a winner at the moment, um, you know, and going for more of a, a higher payday, which, hey, all for whatever players want to go to where the biggest contract is. Like, good for you guys. Um, it just, you know, I, I don't see the Rockies being able to compete in the next three, four, five years even in the way that the NL West is looking right now. I mean, I know we're going to get to the expanded playoffs in a little bit, but you're going to have, you know, you have the the Dodgers, the Padres, even the Giants will always find a way to be good. You're going to have the NL East, which the Braves are going to be good for a long time. You're going to have the Mets who are going to always be willing to spend money. They'll always met it as well, but they'll, they'll spend them enough money to, to get them competitive. Like, I just don't know where you're going to fit in there, um, you know, along the lines, cause you're going to have to overpay people to come into Colorado. Like you, you, this is kind of probably a little bit of an overpay for Chris Bryant. Like you're not going to ever get pitchers to, to volunteer to come there unless you pay them astronomically over their value. Uh, you know, and, and one thing that the two is they did sign Ryan McMahon to a six year, $70 million contract extension. Um, I think it was last week uh, as well. So that helps, you know, keep him in the fold for, for a long time. But I, I just don't see where the Rockies are going to get to that competitive level anytime soon. Um, that, that really makes the Bryant deal from their end, at least makes sense. Right. 
But we'll stay in the uh, stay in the NL West, and we'll go over to the LA Dodgers, who agreed to terms on a six-year, one hundred and sixty-two million dollar contract with Freddie Freeman. Yeah, so um, I think we've talked about Freddie Freeman a lot here, um, but you know, it, it's it's it, I feel the same way about it as I would have, you know, with him potentially signing. When I was going to talk about him potentially signing back with the Braves, he's a guy who he's a really good player. He's still good. Um, he's he's potentially on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He really didn't have to that far to go before he would be in that conversation you know if he can put up two or three more you know solid seasons like his career averages have been he would probably get in that you know 60 war range which would put him in right in consideration especially with an mvp and a world series championship he's had but um you know he adds a lot to the dodgers lineup for 2022 i've said all along that i thought six years you know he's a guy who's going to be a 37 year old first baseman and you're going to be paying him $25 million at that point. Like it's something that, you know, it, it's tough for teams, but if anybody can, you know, eat money, it would be the Dodgers. If they could take a risk on a guy who maybe in 2027 isn't quite, or in, at, at age 37, first baseman isn't quite as good as he is now. They can, you know, get the good out of him. And then, you know, he doesn't have to be that guy for the entire length of his contract. They can just, they don't have, they, they don't, money's not a factor for them, but, um, but yeah, I mean, Freddie Freeman will do well there. Um, you know, he's a guy who just very consistent, um, hits the ball well, sprays it all fields. Um, you know, his, I mean, there's not really too much bad to say about him. I mean, the only thing that worries you a little bit is his defense has really declined over the past few years after being probably the better, one of the better defensive first basemen in the game. Um, you know, 2019, 2021, you know, short season 2020, it's hard to judge defense on that small sample size. But 2019-2021, the defense hasn't really been that good. But, uh, you know, you can always slide him over to DH when the day comes, do you need to? Um, it is kind of a weird fit because, you know, there's a the Dodgers have a couple other guys who were like Max Muncy was playing first. I guess he'll play second now, which is maybe defensively not the best option. But um, but it'll be, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman will do really well at, in, in L.A., I think, and he'll be a good addition to an already great lineup. So, Yeah, Freddie, uh, Freddie basically ends up fitting the hole that Corey Seager left in the lineup as a left-handed bat. Um, you know, Muncy, like you said, he will slide over to second. He actually enjoys playing second much more. Um, it, it just helps create create that depth that L.A. is always known for. Like, you're going to be pushing guys like Gavin Lux and, and – you know, who was a, a top prospect at one time to the bench. You're going to have Chris Taylor, who's still going to be having to try and find that utility role. Like, and some days you're going to push AJ Pollock to the bench, who's had a you know really good past couple years. Like, it, it just helps create that depth of, overall. But you know, I, I don't. Freddie's a, a better offensive upgrade over Seager, but it, it's not you know going to be all that much different. Um, you know, when you look at the lineup construction or whatever, basically one left-handed bat goes in for a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit worse left-handed bat. Um, and, and Freddie gets to go home where he grew up in Southern California. And, and he made a big deal about that in his press conference, like that he's going to have his grandma or his grandpa and his dad be able to, to come and watch him every single day, which they haven't been able to do since high school and, and that. So it's just, a, it's a good fit overall. It hits the Dodgers because of that left-handed bat and, you know, being able to just move the guys over and help create that depth that they usually like to have. And then for Freddie for, to be able to go home, 
um, where he grew up and get a big, you know, a big payday for it as well. And like you said, if there's a team that will be able to, to help a guy age gracefully, it's, it's usually the Dodgers. Like they've done a, a pretty decent job with Justin Turner the past couple of years as he's getting up to that age, 36, 37 type years, um, you know, kind of take less games on your feet and take a couple extra days here and there. So it'll be interesting to see how they allow that to progress as he, as this contract moves over to the, uh, the back end of it. But let's jump over to the next one. And that's with Jorge Soler signing a three year, $36 million deal with the Miami Marlins. Yeah. So, uh, Jorge Soler, um, you know, last time we saw baseball or count baseball that counted was, uh, he won the world series MVP. So, Definitely a guy who is a high-profile um, signing. And, and you know, he's kind of a little bit like Eddie Rosario in the fact that he was very – in fact, last year he had a negative war on the season. He was awful. And then got traded to Atlanta and just took off. I mean, he showed some signs of it his last couple weeks in Kansas City and uh, got traded for really basically nothing. And just – I mean, he absolutely mashed the cover off the ball after he got to Atlanta – 269 average, 358 on base, 524 slugging after the trade in 55 games, put up a full win above replacement. Um, and, and one of the things you like about what Solaire did was that he cut down on his swing strikes. He, he, he swung and missed a lot less. His strikeout rate took a nosedive, and, uh, which was you know something that plagued him. In 2020, he had a 34% strikeout rate. You know, last year in Kansas City, 27%, which is right along his career norms. After he got to Atlanta, it was down to 18.5%, which was fantastic. And then, um, you know, he also, you know, was had a better eye than he's ever had last year, which he's already always been fairly patient, you know, over 10% walk rate. But, you know, he's he's he looked really good last year. The one thing that you worry about with Solaire for sure is his defense, which he really probably should be DHing, but obviously we have DH in the National League now. Uh, you look at the uh, you look at the Marlins as a team that they do have a couple guys already who are probably should be DHs, like like Garrett Cooper, Jesus Aguilar. I mean, they have some guys who are probably more valuable to be DHs, but Solaire, you know, if you need to throw him out there, he's not a disaster in the corner outfield, but you probably should be DHing. So. Um, but definitely a guy that, uh, you know, if he can continue that form he showed in Atlanta, could be a huge payoff for the, uh, for the Miami Marlins. Yeah. So Lair, when he's on, like we saw when he got to Atlanta and through the postseason, he's one of the more feared power hitters in the game. Um, he's a guy who can easily turn on any pitch and send it about 500 feet. Um, you know, and, and really for a guy who, who has that much power. And like you said, he doesn't really, like he walks more than you would think. Like he's up to an 11% walk rate pretty much on his career. He was 11-1 last year, um, only at a 24% strikeout rate, which is for a guy like that, you would probably you know expect to see that uh, in the upper 20s or even low 30s uh, for the type of power he can supply. Um, the fit's weird a little bit in, in Miami just because they have so many corner outfielders already. Um, that, you know, or people that can play corner outfield and they, they are really lacking that, that true kind of center fielder type, but you know, it's good to see the, the Marlins spending money. Supposedly they were interested in, um, in Nick Castellanos before the lockout happened after then we know with everything with Derek Jeter and them leaving. And then, but, uh, 
you know, it is it is nice to see them at least going out there and spending some money on the free agent market and getting a guy who can really impact their offense because that pitching rotation is really good. Like they got Sandy Alcantara, you got uh, you know Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers. You're gonna have Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera coming up soon. Max Mayer's looked incredible in spring training. You even have Eliza Hernandez. Like that rotation will be really really good as long as you can get them some you know some offensive help uh, around. And I think even they they upgraded catcher because they went and got Jacob Stallings um, from the Pirates as well. So that helps solidify more of a defensive catcher for them, uh, which is something they had lacked really in the past couple of years. Yeah, the Marlins have had a sneaky good offseason. And don't forget the signing of um, of Garcia in the outfield. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that was a nice signing, too. And, and, you know, they got even more, you know, farm system minor leaguers that are close like J.J. Blade. It's going to be a really good big leaguer and Yuri Perez, another pitcher. Like they've just got, they're loaded in the, you know, pitch in the rotation depth and in the upper minors. And I think they could be a sneaky good team here in the next year or two, but uh, moving on to our next one, uh, this is the most surprising signing of the off season probably. Uh, and that is that the Minnesota twins signed Carlos Correa uh, to a three year, $105 million deal that does have an opt out after each season. Yeah, so the, it is a really weird deal. Um, you know, with the Twins, they were always somebody that was kind of on the back burner of, of teams that could be sneaky into the Korea market. Um, I think we always all expected, you know, probably the, the Tigers mostly, the uh, the Yankees, um, the Astros to be in on it. But I think what it really came down to is that Scott Boris, uh, right before the lockout or just like a, about a couple weeks before the lockout, Correa uh, fired his other agents, signed with Scott Boris. And if Correa was to sign a long-term big contract this year, Scott Boris would not get the the accountability or you know the, his cut of that contract. It would have been the prior agency. So basically what this does is it allows Correa uh, to go back out to the market next year under Scott Boris with no qualifying offer attached and still be at what age 28 or something. So like, he's still going to be, you know, well before that, that 30 range, you're going to get at least two seasons of him before that he's going to have no qualifying offer. So you don't have to give up a pick for him next year. So Correa will sign like a massive deal next year, as long barring he doesn't get hurt. And if he does, then he just opts into this contract. Um, again, and from the twins side, like it, it's one of those, Hey, if we're good this year, then we have a guy by the, you know, Carlos Correa, maybe we can convince him to stay here. If we're not good, well, then we just turn around and flip probably the best player who will be traded at the deadline for whatever hall of prospects we can get, you know, because maybe that other team will convince him to stay and they'll, they'll be willing to give up more for that. Um, so it, it's a really good deal from the twin side. Correa's side, it makes more sense for him in the long term so he can get the money. Although, you know, as you look at it, like how competitive do we expect the Twins to be? Because that rotation's not that great. They did sign Joe Smith, a reliever, to a one-year deal and Chris Archer to a one-year deal. But, um, you know, I, I don't really expect that rotation to be all that great and them to be, you know, in a, a competitive spot this year. So I would I would say more as we're looking towards July, you, you're going to probably see a lot of rumors about Carlos Correa be getting moved and then potentially at the deadline, him getting moved somewhere to uh, some competitor that either has a uh, an injury or just looking to upgrade an offensive position. Yeah, I, I, I love the signing for the for the twins. Um, you know, obviously, it's a high value, high number dollar figure, but. 
Um, you know, the Twins lineup is actually really good now. Byron Buxton is going to be at the the top of it. Uh, You know, they they have signed him to an extension last year. Um, You look at Jorge Polanco. uh, He could shift. You know, there was talk that he was going to end up having to play short again, but he's going to be able to shift back to second base where he's a great player. Uh, Carlos Correa is going to sit in there at shortstop. Um, and then you still got, you know, Max Kepler in that, in that lineup. And, you know, you kind of took, uh, Josh Donaldson, who was great, who was, you know, a really good player, but you kind of flipped him into being able to have Gary Sanchez and you Urshela to add some depth to that lineup. So you're, it, you know, you really got a pretty good lineup here. You know, maybe you could use, you know, Alex, Alex Kirilov having that breakout year. Um, you know, he's been a top prospect for a while. Uh, I, I think the real question mark and the bullpen is still pretty good too. Um, you know, especially at the back end, Tyler, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Duffy are, are both pretty good. So, um, you know, they did make the trade for Sonny Gray. So that's, you know, they do have one pretty, pretty nice established starting pitcher. You got to remember that, um, that Kenta Maedo is out for most likely the whole year, but it's possible he could come back late in the season, like September. Um, but you know, you got your rotations, really the question mark here and it's not great. Maybe you can hope that Dylan Bundy finds his 2020 form again. And, you know, there's there's some reasons to think this team could could end up being better than, you know, than, than people think. But, um, you know, it, it, it's it's definitely going to be a – it's going to be a situation where, you're, you know, they're kind of a fringe contender. One thing that really helps them is that division that they're in, though. I mean – because you really are going to face the out of con- true contenders. Really, it's only the White Sox. So I think the Twins kind of vaulted themselves over the Tigers, and the uh, and the and the and the Guardians with this trade. So that's definitely something that's going to help them out. Um, you know, playing in this weak division, they could probably they could probably scratch together enough wins to make a wild card run. And uh, but if not, you know, the, that rotation really does end up costing them. Uh, you know, you can. You know, obviously Correa would be a very attractive trade piece as a half season piece and, you know, probably not the only trade piece they would have. So uh, definitely an interesting, uh, definitely interesting move here. A lot of upside to this roster now. Uh, you add in a guy who's probably going to be, you know, if somewhere between a four and six win player to a lineup that's already pretty good. And you could hope that maybe the bullpen or maybe the pitching staff can figure it out. There are some young guys there, and, and you got to remember too that the, the A's are looking to trade a couple of guys. So maybe the Twins could make a trade for you know Manaya or something that could really add some depth to that rotation. That would that would help them immensely if they could figure out a way to do that. But um, we'll see what happens. I'm um, definitely excited to see what they do. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that works out as well. Because like you said, that team could be really fun to watch um, on both sides of the ball. Because Correa's even a, a you know, I think he won the platinum glove this year as the, def- the best defender in baseball. And then you have Buxton up the middle too, so that's going to be pretty fun defensively um, on top of the on top of the offensive firepower that they have. But let's jump over to the Red Sox, who signed Trevor Story to a six-year, one hundred and forty million dollar deal. Yeah, so uh, Trevor Story is a very, 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 very good player, and I think people have forgotten that because of how good that this free agent class was at shortstop, that he kind of became the lost name and all that, but, um, you know, there's really not much to not like about him. Obviously, he played in cores, which is a lot of people dog him for that, but, um, you know, at the same time, 
he's an excellent defender. He's an excellent base runner, and his contact rates are pretty good. Um, you know, he his knock all along was, you know, high strikeout guy. But, you know, outside of the, from 2018 to 2019, his strikeout rate went up a tiny bit. But he's really dropped it as an average over his entire career. He had a career low strikeout rate in 2021. Um, he gets on base at a pretty good clip. Uh, this year, really bit by some bad luck. A two two ninety three batting average on balls in play this year, which was the by far the lowest of his career. Obviously, Coors is always going to inflate some batting average on balls in play because of the spacious outfield. But uh, you know, his career averages were you know he was typically around a three forty to three fifty, and, and he was fifty points slower, sixty points slower than his career this year. So that's kind of a a big deal to him because you know if he puts up a normal batting average on balls in play, you know, you could, his number will probably be somewhere in between what he did this last year where he was unlucky. And then, you know, his normal averages and cores, I, I would expect him to put up a, somewhere like a 320, which would be a pretty nice. I mean, projection systems love him to be a 30 home run guy. Fenway Park's a great place to hit for right-handed hitters, you know, with the monster out there. Um, I mean, I think this is a fantastic signing for Boston. The only thing that, that I find weird about it is that, you know, Trevor Story's value, a lot of it's tied up in being a great shortstop. And they have Xander Bogarts, and if Xander Bogarts, who really, I mean, it would make a lot of sense if Story could go play shortstop and Xander Bogarts could then move to second because, you know, Xander Bogarts is not the best defender, but, or really not a good defender at shortstop, even though he's kind of serviceable there. Uh, you know, that would make a lot of sense, but, you know, Xander Bogarts is an opt-out next year, and there's a lot of talk that he does not want to move off shortstop the year before an opt-out. So, um, you know, I don't know how that's going to work, but they signed a guy to a pretty decent-looking contract that could be real, that could pay off really big time for them. So I, I really liked the signing for Boston. Yeah, I, I really think that story is going to do really well in, in Fenway as well with that Red Sox lineup. Um, you know, there, there was some concern about his arm, um, that he's had some throwing trouble the past year or so, and that a mo potential move to second base might've been in his future anyways. Um, but I think this is basically just a way like, Hey, we're going to try out second base this year. If it works, it works. Um, and then, you know, if Xander opts out next year, you will have the potential to move over to shortstop. Um, you know, for the long term, if we can get Xander back, then you'll just stay at second base uh, and, and play there. But, you know, the, the offensive side, the offensive production that I think he's going to bring, I, he, he definitely is going to take a step up from what I think we saw him this past season. Like you said, the, the luck was there. And then honestly, he was the only one in that lineup that you really had to fear anyways. Like at the beginning of the season, Ryan McMahon was hot, but then he kind of tailed off, you know, after the first couple months. And then everyone could just pitch a round story. So he was having to try and, you know, find a way to, to make an impact and swing at some pitches he probably normally wouldn't swing at if he had the guy like Arenado behind him or, or, or something. So I think going to Boston into a hitters-friendly park, into a hitters-friendly division, like that division is one of the, the better hitter-friendly uh, divisions in baseball. Uh, you know, going in there and then now you're going to have guys like J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, like Alex Verdugo. You're going to have so many guys in that lineup that can help protect you now. Like you'll get more pitches to hit. Uh, so I think it's a really good fit. It, it allows them to strengthen a position for now and and kind of hedge them themselves going forward. Sort of what the Dodgers did with trading for Trey Turner in the middle of the year. 
knowing Seager was a free agent, not sure they're going to be able to resign him. Well, now, uh, you know, Turner just moved back over to, to shortstop. Uh, so I think it's kind of hedging their bets, but uh, I, I think story will really bounce back and have a, have a really good year. And we'll look back after this off or, you know, after this next season and probably say that was one of the better, um, bigger free agent signings of the off season. Absolutely. But let's jump over to St. Louis where they've signed a, a couple players, one being Corey Dickerson on a one year, $5 million deal. And the, the bigger news is them signing Albert Pujols to a one year, two and a half million dollar deal for what he announced will be his final season. Yeah. So uh, first off, Corey Dickerson, you know, he's just a, he's just a platoon outfielder bench guy. He's going to do fine. Uh, he serves a purpose. He can DH them some if they need him to. He could probably play, you know, a corner outfield if they need him to. Um, you know, a good left-handed bat to, to throw in there if you need need one. Um, so not a not in obviously one-year deal there. Albert Pujols, really cool to see him back playing his final year for St. Louis. Um, he's 21 home runs away from 700, and he's uh, 18 home runs away from. Uh, from Alex Rodriguez at, at six six ninety seven, so uh, he's got a chance at those two things there to, to pass Albert Poo, I mean to pass uh, Alex Rodriguez and and to potentially get to seven hundred. Um, you know, based on his last few years, obviously twenty twenty only six, but that was a shortened season. You know, twenty nineteen hit twenty three, twenty eighteen hit nineteen, last year hit seventeen, but only in two hundred ninety six plate appearances. You know, if he could give, you could get him, you know. 400 plate appearances he'd have a shot at getting to that milestone uh, which he could still hit left-handed pitching pretty well he did last year all year so uh you never know but um it's going to be really cool to see him back in in st louis and and you know i'm sure that they are going to have a blast going out to the ballpark this year and seeing albert pujols back in that uniform uh, even if it's more of a nostalgia thing than anything else so uh that's that's going to be cool yeah, and it's it's only fitting um, that he, he went back to St. Louis because also it's widely rumored that this will be the last year of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina's career um, as well. So basically, it's kind of like a, a triple swan song for those, you know, especially for those really good Cardinals teams that made World Series runs and won the World Series, um, you know, in the like 2006 era, right around there. You know, it, it's just all three of those guys will be able to go out on you know on the one team this year it's it's going to be cool to see him back there like i don't know if you saw his entrance into spring training the the day it was basically announced like he walked out from the outfield down the thing like the entire place is just you know absolutely buzzing standing ovation everything like it's going to be really fun to see that i really do hope that he gets the you know 400 plate appearances this year because he showed last year that he can still hit lefties really well he still has a ton of that power um, against lefties and even the power is still there against righties but he just he really can't catch up to the, the you know the high velocity fastballs as much he does a lot of his damage on the um, breaking pitches um, so you know he can run into one on velocity but you know I bet he's probably a guy that they said like, Hey, we're going to let you DH against lefties all the time. You'll get in there for some righties and then you can be, you know, potential power bat off the bench. Um, you know, late in game situation. If we, we need to maybe try and run into a Homer or something. So it's really fun that he's going to be able to go back to St. Louis and that they're all, all three of those guys um, are going to kind of be able to, to usher that kind of era of Cardinals baseball kind of out 
and uh, and allow this the newer guys to come in and, and take it over after this season. But let's jump on to basically the the last big kind of free agent deal, and it's it's really more of an extension. But Cattell Marte signed a five year, seventy six million dollar extension with the Arizona Diamondbacks that basically buys out. He had two option years left, and it creates three new years, three new guaranteed years on the deal. And there's also a team option at the end of that as well. Yeah, I mean, Cattell Marte, when he's healthy, is just bonkers. I mean, 2019, you look at his season, uh, you know, in 144 games, which obviously means that he missed 18 games still, but, um, you know, hit 329 with a 389 on base and a 592 slugging. Uh, that is insane. 32 home runs, seven war, uh, plays a, you know, plays depth multiple positions and plays them solidly plays second base shortstop and he's played center field and, and all of them at a solid level. He's a good defensive player. Um, you know, you look at him in 2021, I mean, his injury 90 games. I mean, he, in his 90 games, he hit 318 with a 377 on base and a 532 slugging with 14 homers, uh, 139 WRC plus put up three wins above replacement, but it was 90 games, you know, 2020 even was injured. Uh, 45 games out of the possible 60. Uh, so this is a guy that, I mean, when he's healthy, is one of the best players in the game, and you're getting a bargain on that if you're Arizona, if he's healthy. Obviously, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, so, you know, it's entirely possible that next year, you know, you get 100 games out of him of being good. So, but we'll see. Um I love this extension. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that he decided to sign back with with Arizona, but obviously they've stuck with him. They didn't want to trade him because they could have traded him for an absolute haul over the last year or two, and they want to be this be the guy that they build around. And uh, he's obviously a guy that that you, you know that could play that fill that role. I mean, you could build around this guy and build a competitive team around him. So, um, you know, I'm a I'm sure it's exciting for Arizona fans to be able to keep him in in you know, and, and as a Diamondback, and uh, you know, it's exciting for him to you know, kind of be the guy that, be the guy that's the glue between you know what was a pretty good team 2017, 2018, and be the glue guy from from then from you know this rebuild to to where when they're competitive again in a couple years, you know, you've got a guy who is experienced and is a you know, really, really good all-star caliber player. So uh, definitely, uh, definitely cool for Cattell Marte and, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. And you mentioned him not being able to stay healthy. Uh, I think a thing that they're going to do um, is they're going to basically push him to be a full-time second baseman this year. That will kind of help, um, I believe, keep him a little bit healthier. You know, he played most of his games last year in, in center field. And I just don't think that he, his body can take that wear and tear of having to run around there all day long. And, and, you know, especially, I think, I believe Arizona's a turf field as well. I could be wrong about that, but, um, you know, moving to second base, at least he'll be able to, to not have to run around all the time, keep his legs a little healthier. Cause I believe he struggled with hamstring injuries more, uh, more than anything. Uh, he's a guy who crushes lefties. I think last year he had a 371 average against lefties or, or 387 against lefties. Um, and that's where mo- more of his power is. Um, against from uh, from the right side of the plate. So like you said, he's an absolute star when he's healthy. Um, and, and I think that move to second base will allow that. Um, you know, there had been talks that they were going to trade him. 
you know, even signing this extension, I don't know that it, it you know, in a couple of years that it doesn't preclude them from trading him again. I think what it does is just buys you a couple more years of trying to see if you're good or if you, if your prospects, your rebuilds going the way you want it to. And if it's not, then you can trade Marte then. Um, I, I think it just helps lock that in. Cause I believe he was going to have an option year after this season. I think he was only through 2022 before those option years kicked in. So um, I believe it's $51 million of new money on the deal. Cause the option years just became guaranteed, but it's a really good deal for, for Marte gets, gets paid. It's a good deal for the diamondbacks pushes off the, you know, if you have to trade him for a couple years and then you guys can move forward and, and see where you're at from there. But uh, before we jump over to the trade section, there was, uh, you know, like four or five more lower signings that we just wanted to at least mention. Uh, Brad Miller agreed to a two year, $10 million deal with the Rangers. Andrew Chafin signed a two year 13 with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, the Tigers also signed Michael Pineda to a one year deal. Um, and then Archie Bradley and Brian Zapera both signed one year deals with the Angels. Yeah, I really like the Archie Bradley Tapera deals for the Angels. Um, they have made a good investment in their bullpen this year. They re-signed Rosella Iglesias. They brought in Aaron Loop, and uh, Tapera was really, really good last year. Archie Bradley's a guy who's not a fantastic reliever, but he's a good reliever, and he can he can fill a he's he's perfect in a middle relief role. Um, they've done a good job of building up their relief staff, especially you know following up a pitching a starting pitching staff that's been you know inconsistent at best. So. Um, I definitely like what they've done there. Yeah, absolutely. I like those deals as well. And I think Chafin is a, is a pretty underrated signing yeah. as well for the Tigers being a, a good lefty in that bullpen. Uh, Cause it sounds like Tyler Alexander's probably going to get moved to the starting rotation. Um, at least while Pineda is building up his arm, cause he's not going to be ready for opening day, but overall, basically like all of these signings, Miller becomes a utility kind of bench bat DH type um, for the Rangers, which they kind of can use that. Um, around first base and then, you know, being able to give Simeon and, and seek your days off becoming DH there. So really good deals overall, but let's go ahead and jump over to the, the little trade portions. We got three trades, two of them more of a minor, uh, minor trades. And that's actually not a, a very good segue into the first trade, which is the Reds acquiring Mike Miner from the Kansas city Royals for relief pitcher, Amir Garrett. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this is a trade of two guys who aren't very good, right now uh mike minor um you know his numbers last year his era was a lot higher than his expected numbers which were decent um but you know i think the big thing for the for him is that you know he's a free agent at the end of this year you, you know but you have a little more control under amir garrett he's a little bit younger you might have a little more upside there as a quality reliever and he's cheaper and you know if you're kansas city you can you know, shift him or you can pull him in and have a guy who maybe, you know, there's some, there's definitely still some potential there for Amir Garrett to be a good reliever. Uh, and then you look at Mike Miner as a guy who, you know, there's potential for him to, you know, last year, a 429 FIP isn't that bad. The expected numbers and the batted ball numbers match that up. He had a 505 ERA, but he was honestly a lot better than that. So maybe he can be kind of a, a salvage project for the Reds who have done a pretty good job with those, you know, salvage projects like that in the past. Uh, you know, that if you remember, you know, Sonny Gray was, has been a highly thought of big leaguer for a long time, but you know, after he went to the Yankees for that 
year or year and a half or whatever he was there, like his stock had like plummeted. And then he came back to Cincinnati and was fantastic there. So the Reds have done some good pitching development. Maybe they see something in Mike Miner, but um, I mean, to me, this is kind of a non-factor of a trade, honestly. So um, definitely not, you know, the Reds got a guy who's probably an average to below average starter and the Royals got a guy that's a little bit cheaper and is an average to a below average reliever. So, yeah, I, I don't think this deal makes sense for either side. Really, like the Reds are just trying to shed payroll and they get a, a you know high price starter, while the the Royals get a reliever that's not really going to do anything for them, and it doesn't really make all that much sense uh, from either side. So, it's pretty much whatever. But let's jump over to the to the big trade that we had happen, and that's the Blue Jays acquiring um, all-star third baseman Matt Chapman for a pa- package of prospects, including Gunnar Hogland, um, infielder Kevin Smith, and left-handed pitcher Zach Loge and Kirby Sneed. Yeah, so starting off with Matt Chapman, and the first thing you see when you see him is his defense. It's, it's, it's good. It's real good. I mean, he is a elite of the elite defender. He's probably the best defensive player in infielder in baseball that doesn't play short um you know he's he's won gold gloves two or three times he's he's great um you know you look at his offense as he's not quite like a Andrelton Simmons type player that's just straight up only defense like he's still a good offensive player um you know he had really broken out offensively in 2018 and 2019 where he was honestly you know, an all-star caliber offensive player and an elite defender put up 6.7 war in 2018, a 139 WRC plus 2019 put up, you know, 6.1 war, a, a 125 WRC plus The problem for him has been though, that his strikeout rate has absolutely spiked over the last two years. 2020, you look at it, he, he didn't play the full season. He was actually injured at the end of the 2020 season, but last year, and, but his strikeout rate was at 35%, which, you know, you think small sample size, whatever last year, 2021, 32.5% strikeout rate that rivals like a Joey Gallo type and his offense was all the way down to league average. So, you know, you think of him as maybe, you know, I don't know what was going on last year, but if he brings his 2019, 2018 level, you know, self to the plate and, you know, and playing in Toronto, which is nice hitters park, he could be, you know, back to even, even higher heights than he reached then. But um, he's definitely a good player and a guy that was, you know, a great guy for them to pick up. I mean, if Oakland probably should have traded him, you know, before the season, but, you know, last year, but, um, you know, because there was a lot of rumors of that been going on a while, but uh, definitely, you know, a little puzzling his offensive season in 2021. We'll see if he bounces back. If he bounces back, it's this is a spectacular trade that goes that's you know kind of along the lines of that Josh Donaldson trade that Toronto made a while back. If he doesn't bounce back, he's still a good player and he'll be a good third baseman for them. But we we'll see what happens with the uh, with the offense. So yeah, I think. Basically, just getting Matt Chapman out of Oakland is going to help quite a bit anyways. He's a guy who, if you look at just 2021, he was, I know it's still not great, but a, a 185 hitter at home, but a 234 hitter on the road. Um, you know, And then if you look at his career, it's been about even with the 243 to a 244 um, average-wise hitter at least. But you did mention that strikeout rate has jumped the past couple of years. The 2020 season 
you know, I think he was battling that hip injury. I think it was before he really went down and got the surgery. So I really didn't put too much stock into that. But, you know, he came back this year and it only dropped, you know, about 3% down to 32 and a half compared to, you know, what his average was, was right around a, a 20, you know, 22% strikeout guy before that. Um, the walk rate did jump this year, which was really nice to see. So if you can keep that walk rate there and then drop that strikeout rate a little bit, I mean, he was still, you know, an above league average hitter, just barely at a one Oh one this year. And with that high level defense that he, um, that he brings, you mentioned probably being the best defensive player in baseball. Um, you know, any offensive production he's going to give you is going to help. But I really do think going to, which I mentioned earlier with the Trevor story thing, like going to one of the more hitter friendly divisions in there where you're going to be able to play it in Camden yards, even though they're back in the fences up like 10 feet or whatever, like that's still going to be a hitter friendly ballpark going and playing in Fenway where the, you're going to have the monster as a right-handed hitter um, going and playing in Yankee stadium, you know, which is still, you know, the left field is not as much of a hitter friendly park as right field is there, but it's still, you know, better than most places. So I think overall, like, it's going to be a really good deal. The package you gave up, like I really like Gunnar Hogland. Um, Kevin Smith is an, is a nice, interesting piece. Um, Kirby Sneed's a guy who could probably come up and be a bullpen guy right now for the A's. Um, he, he got up there, I believe, like eight innings last year for Toronto. But uh, I, Hogland's really the the big the big uh, you know money prospect in this deal that that's going to come down at the end of the day. Like, did the uh, did the A's or or the you know if if Chapman stays around this production. Did the A's, you know, win this trade by, by getting a guy like Hogland? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I second that. And, um, you know, they got more, this is more of a depth trade than a, we got one big time prospect trade, right. you know, but, um, you could tell from the return that teams were a little bit scared of the, 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 the slow season last year from Chapman offensively, but, um, you know, it, it, they definitely got a good return and, um, you know, we'll see what happens with it. So absolutely. Well, let's jump over to the last move, um, of this episode. And that's going to be the San Diego Padres acquiring first baseman, Luke Voigt from the New York Yankees for prospect Justin Lang. Yeah. So, uh, Luke Voigt is a guy who will be a pretty solid player for the Padres. Um, you know, he's, he's a bad defensive player. But obviously, you're in the he's in the um, you know he's in the the DH is in the National League now. He could do that. Um, you know, 2021, he's dealt with some injuries. He actually got kind of kind of benched in favor of Rizzo. I mean, the injury was part of it. And then they brought in Rizzo, and then he was kind of behind Rizzo. Uh, and there was a little bit of drama there with him wanting to play. So the Yankees decided to ship him out. Uh, he's been a good player. Uh, hasn't played a full season really other than 2020, which was a short season to start with at 56 games. But um, I guess technically it was a full season because he played the same amount as everyone else who played a full season that year. But uh, you know, his best season really 2019 was his, well, his only season that he played over a hundred games. It's, it, he's, he's never played more than 68 games other than 2019. So, um, you know, he'll hit some home runs, um, good power guy, his plate discipline is pretty rough. Um, not a, you know, not really a high walk guy. He's okay walking. I mean, he had 2019, he had 14% walk rate, but other than that, it's been more of like an eight, seven to 9% walk rate. He strikes out a decent clip. I mean, 
he's really a guy you need him to hit for a 125, 130 WRC plus for him to be a really productive big leaguer. So, but I mean, he could probably do that. We'll see what he does in San Diego, how they utilize him. Are they going to play him at first base? Are they going to DH him? We don't know what the future is like for Hosmer there. Um, so, you know, if they are able to find a way to ship out Hosmer, you know, maybe they platoon him and, you know, against lefties, you know, or against right-handed pitching, Hosmer plays and Voight DHs, and maybe they have somebody that they want to, you know, against left-handed pitching, they'll an extra guy that they can have Voight play first and then have someone else DH or something. I don't know how they'll – they might platoon him in some ways like that. But um, definitely a, a trade that, you know, they brought in a guy with some upside. Um, and then you look at the return for it, Justin Lange. Um, you know, he, he's a pretty decent prospect. Um, you know, he was, he's not super high level prospect. He's got an okay fastball, you know, the command leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you know, right now he, he's got some upside lefty, got some decent stuff, probably not going to be, you know, a, a super star player, but you know, he's 20 years old and, and, you know, he's a, a top 20 prospect in the system now. So we'll see what ends up happening with him, but definitely thought it was kind of a fair return for, for a guy like Luke Voigt. So, yeah, it's not, it's not a bad, you know, deal for either side, especially, you know, the Yankees, it was clear that they were going to move on from Voigt, especially after re-signing Rizzo. Um, they just, they basically, he fell out of favor there. Um, and I don't know why is, I guess really just the injury wise, cause he had a pretty decent 2020, um, you know, 2021 was rough for him to start with and especially battling through the injury. But, you know, I, I still think he's going to be a guy who can easily get you, you know, close to 20 home runs a year. Um, you know, if he can hit 250 to 260, like you'll take it, uh, you know, as far as the Eric Hosmer thing, I, I just, I have a feeling that some sort of a deal is going to happen here soon with him, or at least by the deadline that they're going to trade him and, and offload his contract or the prospect or something. They just acquired Matt Beatty from the Dodgers as well. Uh, who's another like lefty hitting kind of first baseman. And he can play a little bit of out corner outfields um, and maybe some third base, but he's more of a, a you know, a first baseman uh, more of a bench first baseman, but it, it just, they're kind of a depth piece there that, you know, kind of makes me think that Hosmer might be shipping out. Um, you know, here soon, or, or at least by the deadline, you know, they, it, they could be using void as that DH kind of filling, trying to help fill the production of a guy like Tommy Pham that you, you know, didn't bring back. You're going to miss Tatis a little bit. So you, that, you know, that's another right-handed bat that's going to be out of the lineup. So you get void in there and just kind of help fill some of that void from the right-handed side, at least not that he's anywhere nearly close to Tatis, um, it's just the the right-handed bat basically in the lineup because, um, you know, when you have – I think right now you have like Machado, you're going to have uh, Myers, but then you have Grisham who's left-handed, Cronenworth uh, who's left-handed. Who knows what they're going to think about Kim. You have uh, – who, who's he's right-handed, but Hosmer that's left-handed. Uh, you know, you just had a lot of lefties already, so bringing in a righty that can play some first base for you and, you know, maybe you DH some as well. Uh, it makes sense, and especially for a prospect like Lang, that you know more profiles as a reliever, and, and maybe a guy who probably won't even reach the majors at any point in his career, probably. Anyways, but I think that's going to wrap up everything. Unless you got anything else that you want to you want to hit on? 
Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think, um, you know, it's exciting. We're, we're, you know, we've kind of been, this episode's kind of been on the back burner for a couple of weeks because of the issues. I wish we had some more time today to talk about kind of, you know, the season starts and, you know, a week from Friday. So it's like, we're going to, we're going to have our, I guess our prediction episode next week, but, um, you know, we'll, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, pretty much all the major moves are set. Uh, you know, spring training honestly hasn't had tons of storylines. A couple that kind of come to mind are, you know, Justin Verlander pitched today and looked really, really, really good coming off his Tommy John surgery. So that was something that was kind of good to see. Um, we've seen uh, Charlie Morton come back strong from his broken ankle. He looked good in his spring training starts. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's been too many guys who've looked bad. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you can think of anybody, but um, definitely, um, you know, say Suzuki, we talked about him earlier, but he's really struggled in his, you know, his start to the spring, but, uh, we'll Bellinger. see what happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. Bellinger's been horrible. Yeah. I think he's, um, I think he's, he struck out again today so far the game's on right now and he struck out in his first at bat, yeah. but I think it's been like, I think it was 14 strikeouts and 19 plate appearances or something so far. He's still tinkering with this swing. And I think he's already had like four different like stance and swings in, in, you know, the spring training so far as well. So he's fighting it. Um, I think another storyline is where the hell is Michael Conforto going to sign and when is he going to sign? Um, I think it's really puzzling that he hasn't been signed yet. Uh, I, I wonder if that's completely the, should have uh, taken the qualifying offer. Yeah, I wonder if it's completely the draft pick compensation um, attached to him. If he's he's going to be one of those guys that either an injury happens and gets signed, or if uh, you know, like we saw with like Kyle Loesch that waits until after the draft to sign, so nobody gets that that pit, draft pick compensation against him. Um, so I think that's another big storyline. But like you mentioned, we'll have. We'll have our uh, our prediction episode next week, and then any of the uh, you know as these storylines kind of keep developing, it's been kind of just rushed everything here. Nothing's been able to really develop overall. Um, you know, maybe we'll hit on some of the bigger storylines next week and or next week's episode as well, um, as it's you know going to be three or four days before opening day. Oh yeah, for sure. So. Uh, that you know, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the Batfoot Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.